This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Cats at night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Here is Melissa DeRosa, writes for the Daily Beast. She used to work for Governor Andrew Cuomo. Melissa, good afternoon. It's uh, Sid with John and Peter. How are you? Great to speak with you guys. How you doing? Uh, well, great. Great to speak with you, too. So, is this the end of uh, democracy in New York State? Well, I was going to say the answer to that question is you guys are doing a lot better than Kathy Hochul is tonight. <laughs> um, I mean, look, John, I think that the Court of Appeals, what we saw play out today, which there were 10 no votes, there were seven eyes without consent, which is basically a statement of neutrality, what allowed to go to the floor, and only two yes votes. And since the Senate started doing confirmations back in the 1970s, there has never in history, regardless of the party in power and the party in the Senate, oftentimes Democratic governors, Republican Senate, and vice versa, never has there ever been a situation where a governor's nominee has gone down like this. So Kathy Hochul has made history tonight. And to your point, John, I think that it, I think this, this should scare New Yorkers a lot about how this process played out and what it means about the balance of power now, going into the legislative session. Melissa, uh, and I know it hasn't happened before, uh, but we've had various people on this show. Uh, Governor Patterson uh, made, made an issue of it, uh, Judge Weinberg, uh, and they know the law too. Uh, there's, a, there's a controversy that it has to go to the full floor. What say you? There is, there is a controversy over that. And the answer is it's sort of unclear. There's one reading of the Constitution that says because it says consideration of the Senate, it should be the full floor. There's another argument that says, well, it says consideration of the Senate and the Senate determines what that means in its own House rules. The larger problem for Hochul is she has sort of threatened that she is going to bring legal action. It floated out. You know, they've even surfaced the name of a lawyer, Caitlin Halligan, who would represent the governor against the Senate. And is she going to pull the trigger? And she is so incredibly weak right now. If she doesn't governor. pull the trigger, it's the end. She's not governor. Well, that's that's the problem, John. She's, she, once you threaten to pull the trigger, you've got to pull the trigger. On the other hand, I believe she if she pulls the trigger, and then let's play this through. If she pulls the trigger, it's not a sure thing she wins in court. You know, the Court of Appeals is personally interested in the outcome. So they could feel like we really shouldn't be weighing in on this. There's a conflict, and we're going to default to but the, the Senate. But the reason Janet DeFriori, her name was, is not yep. there is because the Court of Appeals did the right thing on the uh, previous vote. The redistricting. That's right. But so let's And they forced her out. out. Let's say this plays out and Hochul does go ahead and she brings the, the lawsuit and she does win, which is a lot of ifs, and I'm, I don't believe it's a slam dunk. But then if you, if, you, if, if you send it to the full floor for a vote, what I think you're going to see happen is you're going to see the Senate Democrats then unify behind their leadership. And whereas moderate Dems or people who maybe were undecided could have potentially previously voted for LaSalle, I think that what you see happening is she's now questioning the institution's power and the separation of powers. And it's going to become a fight about institutional strength 
I think the Senate Democrats all unify as a conference and vote LaSalle down as a block. Well, so I think no matter how this plays, yeah. this ends badly for LaSalle and for Hochul. Uh, Melissa, George Pataki actually commented on this. He said, I commend Governor Hochul for standing up for the people of New York. The governor of New York is elected to lead our state, not the legislature. They don't get to pick the chief judge of our great state. So for what it's worth, Governor Pataki is uh, crediting Kathy Hochul with a job well done today despite the loss. Hey, Melissa, well, that and two fifty will get you on the subway, you know. But and, but the, the truth is, it's you know at the end of the at the end of the day, it says the guy gets seated or not. And look, power is about perception of power is as important as having power. And Hochul only won her election with five points, right? She gave away the pay raise for free. She botched the response to the storm up in Buffalo. This is her number four at bat since she was elected. And if this goes down, I mean, a, a weaker governor in the state, I don't think we have seen. Well, and I think that fundamentally, this is about now a power imbalance flip to the legislature like we've never seen before. Melissa, this is Peking. If I could just say for a moment there, first of all, you know, whether we agree or disagree with Hochul, I think, the reason, I think she has to fight. Otherwise, to me, it's better to get down fighting than to quit. I think if she just quits now, she's going to be really a, you know, a dead woman it's walking. It's all over for her. So I think she has well, to. Well, she's not the governor oh, if she oh, quits. Oh, oh, so yes, I can say uh, 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 as Republican, I mean, all those court of appeals judges are all appointed by Democratic governors. I wouldn't agree with LaSalle on you know, all the issues. But to me, the governor has the right to make the appointment. And as long as that judge is reasonably in the mainstream, it should be confirmed. I think it's a terrible precedent if she caves in. Now, if she, if she goes to the floor and loses, that to me is better, I think, than uh, – just caving in now because she'll be, uh, again, a lame duck. Uh, but let's hear, is Judge Weinberg on the, on the phone? Judge Weinberg, what say you? Yes. I think uh, on the law, she has a good shot of, of winning the case, depending on where they file the lawsuit. goes from the state Supreme Court to the appellate division. If you have a, an independent uh, appellate division, state Supreme Court, even if a lot of the judges in the Court of Appeals recuse themselves, the appellate division decision will, will stand as, as the law. On this. And what so do you think happens in the, uh, in, in the appeals court where it stands right now at, uh, at six? Well, I, I think you may have people who are accusing themselves because you had at least one person, the acting chief judge, who came out of the, uh, the judicial uh, screening panel. So it's a very complicated issue. This was forced by the legislature unreasonably and unfairly. They didn't treat uh, Judge Lasalle fairly. They didn't give him due process. They packed. Listen, let's, let's be honest. This legislature, this Democrat-led le- legislature, packed this committee so they could pack the court. And the only thing that stands in the way of a runaway legislature with a left-wing ideology forcing it down everybody's throat is an independent judiciary. So this is an attack on independent judiciary. And when Melissa talks about separation of powers, we have to remember they're the third branch of government, the judiciary. They have to be respected as well. And Generis has led this fight. Another unconstitutional fight, just like this fight on the redistricting, has led this fight, has pushed the Senate Democrats in this corner. They should start thinking real carefully about whether this guy should be in a leadership position because they've pushed themselves into this corner. What would you expect this governor to do, to just roll over? She rolls over on this. She's not a governor. She's not a governor anymore. Melissa DeRosa, a former quasi-chief of staff of uh, Governor Cuomo. Well, listen, I, I, I agree with all, everything all of you guys just said. She's got no choice. She now, she, once you make the threat to sue, you have to sue, or else your legs are cut out from you more than they already have been. But 
the larger thing, which like I'm looking two, three moves ahead on the chessboard, which is something Hochul would do well to do every once in a while. But I now see a scenario where it, let me, if you will, give me 30 seconds, 95. There was a question about a constitutional gaming amendment in New York. Bruno, Senator Bruno, a Republican, wanted it passed. There were members of his conference who didn't want to do it. He had the Democratic votes to get it passed. Trump then goes and cuts a deal with the Democrats in the Senate to vote down the bill. Bruno brings his conference in and says, this is no longer about gaming. This is about who runs the Senate. I need you all to fall in line behind me. They all walk onto the floor and they pass gaming. Even though Havis Conference didn't want to do it, he got them in a line and said, this is us versus them now. We decide what happens in our chamber. I'm telling you guys, I'm not generally a betting woman. If this thing gets to the floor, the Democratic Senate falls in line behind Mike Gianaris and Andre Stewart Cousins and LaSalle goes down. Wow. That is my prediction. Uh, Peter King, where, where, where do we place our bets? Can we go to Jake's casino and place a bet? Or <laughs> yeah, I'm actually with Melissa. To me, the one bet that I have is that she has to go ahead, and if she loses, I get a, I, I'd rather lose in the ring rather than sitting in the corner. I'd rather lose by a knockout <clears throat> punch than, than go down uh, as a no, sissy. You know, but, but you're right. You guys are right on that. I think Melissa agrees with that. You'd rather lose at least punching, but she's going to lose. And when she loses, I, I, that Hope becomes will, a huge embarrassment not, for the governor of New York. Yeah, I'm just thinking of former governors. I don't know if she can pull it off or not. If she goes to the public on this and makes it a major issue, she has a chance of winning. If she has any following, I don't know. And that's also going to be a test of her leadership. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk to Zach Williams uh, before, later yeah. on, I think, yeah. at 5.30 or something, and he'll, we'll see what he has to say. Somewhere Lee Zeldin has yeah. had another glass of champagne. <laughs> M- Melissa DeRosa, thank you so much for coming on, and we love you, and uh, and thank you for giving us your input. Thank you, guys. Talk soon. Bye. Thank you. All right. Take care, uh, Melissa DeRosa. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. One of the things we discuss often on this show, Cats at Night, and on my show every morning, sitting friends in the morning, is the fentanyl issue in the United States and the southern border, of course. And one state that is being hit particularly hard by the fentanyl issue, believe it or not, is Virginia. And joining us right now on Cats at Night is the Attorney General, Jason Miares. Jason, Sid Rosenberg, John Katsimatidis, Peter King, a cast of thousands. So it turns out that uh, all of us are experiencing this awful, awful situation at the border and fentanyl drug overdoses just about everywhere. But it turns out your state, Jason, really having difficulty with it. Tell us about it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me uh, back on. Yeah, what we've seen in Virginia, you know, the point I've made is that every state now is becoming a border state. And I you know, I hear a lot of elected officials use the word crisis. I don't. I, I never use it. I use it regarding this. It's chemical warfare being waged against our country. It's fentanyl, enough fentanyl crosses our southern border to kill every single man, woman, and child in this country twice over. It is oh, primarily that the chemicals are coming from China. The fentanyl is, is sent over by the drug cartels because of what's happening in our border is such an utter disaster. 108,000 people have died in the last 12 months nationally from fentanyl uh, and, and opioid overdoses. That is the equivalent of two Vietnam wars in 12 months. We lost about 50,000 men and women in Vietnam over the course of 15 years. 
We're losing twice that in 12 months. It's the equivalent of a fully loaded 727 crashing every day in this country. Oh my uh, in Virginia, we've been hit particularly hard. The death of despair in Southwest Virginia. You can look at a graph where 60 years of life expectancy improvement uh, in certain areas of, of, of the Commonwealth of Virginia, that suddenly life expectancy has dropped totally and completely because of these deaths of despair. And so uh, what is happening, and people often are like, well, why would anybody take fentanyl? You have, you have a couple of different problems. One, you have drug dealers that actually have a financial incentive to kill some of their customers because the cycle of addiction is so horrific that customers hear that somebody else has died from an overdose from this dealer, they think, well, this person must have the pure heroin. And so they actually have a, it's part of their marketing strategy to kill some of their customers. That's the first problem. The second problem is, is that they are lacing fentanyl. They're, they're putting the synthetic opioid into things that people don't think they're ingesting. They think they're taking a Percocet. It's actually fentanyl or Xanax or even smoking marijuana. <laughs> and so what you're seeing right now is that fentanyl has gotten so cheap it's easy to mass produce. It used to be that the cartels needed to have a drug distribution network. You needed, you needed uh, acres of land, you needed good weather, and you needed an effective underground distribution network. Now you just need a chemistry set. It is so easy <laughs> to manufacture. You don't need acres of land. You don't need to make sure the poppy seeds are right. You can literally just manufacture this in such massive quantities. As one DEA agent shared with me, he said it used to be that the cartel members would take a high price if they were dumping their cocaine or their heroin overboard because it's so hard to manufacture. Mm. Now they don't care. It is so cheap. It is so easy. It is so widely prevalent that we are at the front line. You've obviously seen it in New York, but it is everywhere. It is chemical warfare. It is complete lack of will of what's happening on our border. And so right now, uh, <clears throat> Virginia is at the front line. We're at the tip of the spears. We're trying to give our law enforcement the tools. Of course, we're running up against candidly, a, a Democratic-controlled state Senate that keeps saying no to some things law enforcement has been asking for, and it's really, really hurting a lot of Americans. Uh, Attorney General, that. John Casamitidis here. Hey, John. Uh, is, well, would you say that the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security is doing his job? No. <laughs> Absolutely uh, not. I mean, I mean I it's a complete joke. We, we all know that. It's a joke. He's just letting this, yeah. uh, this, this, this drugs across the border. Uh, he's letting people across. Look, I, I believe in immigration, but I believe in checks and balances. I think we have to, we have to make sure there's no uh, threatening characters coming aboard. What do you say? You uh, listen, we had this discussion, guys, with Alan Dershowitz, the right. attorney, yesterday, and we said, "Is Mayorkas, Jason?" Uh, a criminal fault here. And actually, it was Richard Weinberg who's on the phone right now who said, well, i got to tell you, if he's on record saying the border is closed, which he is, then maybe that is a criminal then he offense. Li- he lied to Congress. That's right. That's perjury right exactly, there. That is exactly right. Yep. He said well, well, that the border was secure. He said that the border was not open. He's lied twice. They can get him on charges of lying to Congress, which is impeachable. Right. Well, you made that point, actually, and not Alan me. Agreed with <laughs> yes, you made that point. So, Jason, what do you think? Do you think at this point, Mayorkas, this Democrat administration led by Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, not just lying, but possibly criminally negligent? Well, listen, Congress is going to have to make that determination. But I know it is it is it is obvious from everybody that, that it is gross, gross <laughs> incompetence. And you're so right what you said. We can have two truths. We can believe absolutely in welcoming uh, immigrants, legal immigration. America allows a million legal immigrants a year. 
It makes it a better, stronger country. However, American citizens can also say, you know, we can be incredibly welcoming, but don't take advantage of our of our generosity. And what's happening on our southern border is a complete lawlessness situation. It is not just the fentanyl, it's also the human trafficking, which has skyrocketed. The two number one criminal enterprises on a global scale, number one is drug trafficking, number two is human trafficking. Both are prevalent. They're ubiquitous. They're everywhere on our southern border. And right now, this, this administration can find the time and the money to hire 87,000 IRS agents to audit middle-income earners and small business owners. They can't hire 87,000 Border Patrol agents. It's about it's a lot of leadership. As Governor Youngkin loves to say in Virginia, the right leaders focus on the right priorities. Right now, this administration is focusing on the wrong priorities. Attorney General, this is former Congressman Pete King. First of all, uh, thanks for all the work you're doing. Secondly, do you think that you have the chance of getting strong legislation through the Virginia legislature? Well, I will tell you, if, if there's ever an illustration of just how far left the Democrats have shifted on public safety. Four years ago, I co-patroned a bill that said if I'm a drug dealer and I lace my heroin with with fentanyl, that's like giving somebody hom- uh, a rat poison. I should be a prosecutor should be able to charge them with felony homicide. That bill was introduced four years ago. It got over 25 Democrats to vote for it. It went to Ralph Northam's desk, the governor of Ralph Northam's desk. He went way woke and very liberal, and he vetoed it. He vetoed the bill. Governor Youngkin pledged to sign it. We thought, well, this is a slam dunk. We have so many of these Democrats are still in the General Assembly. They'll vote for this bill. Again, they voted for it before. The overdose crisis has gotten worse. Fifteen uh, of the Democrats have voted for it. They voted against it. Uh, absolutely. Against uh, it. Attorney General, the other yes, item, sir. before we run out of time, the other yes, item sir. that you are very ticked off about is TikTok. That's what you did there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, TikTok is, is both. It's, it's two problems. Number one, it is it is what has been clearly seen as, as a tool used by, by the, the CCP to try to monitor uh, innocent Americans. But the second is we know from the from our investigation that absolutely they, they, they are aware of the impact they're having on our children. In China, just to put in comparison, in China, it automatically cuts off after 10 p.m. at night. Nobody's allowed on under the age of 15, and they have a timer where after 45 minutes it shuts off. So they know something that clearly uh, it, it's, parents are saying It's here, hurting our kids. Attorney General, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for doing a great job for our country and your state of Virginia. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. The economy right now, a huge story, debt ceiling, inflation. On Sid in the Morning, uh, we had uh, Larry Kudlow yesterday, Ron Insana today. But Lou Dobbs is the best in the business. You hear his reports every couple of minutes here on WABC because there's nobody better. Janet Yellen is saying extraordinary measures. Those are the two words making it sound like a very, very bad thing. But others are telling me we really have until June before we default. Then it becomes an issue. But again, nobody knows about this on Lou Dobbs. And, Lou, and the market went down 600 it points did. today. It did. Uh, Lou, you're on with uh, John Katzmatidi, Sid Rosenberg, and Peter King. How are you, pal? Well, I'm great. Thanks, Sid. Uh, John, thanks. Uh, Congressman, good to talk with you. Uh, you too. So, so you heard what I said <laughs> with uh, Larry and Ron. Others have told me that even though Janet Yellen is using these big words about tomorrow, that basically right. we've got until June to worry about default. And those folks tell me there's no way we will default. What do you think about this whole debt ceiling issue? Well, I think the debt ceiling issue is an unfortunate one for the Republicans just at this moment in which they have so much going for them to take on an issue that they know will end 
exactly as the president has said, with a, an agreement, it'll be clean, it'll be straightforward. Uh, it's an unfortunate uh, tactical mistake in my judgment. Uh, it is a serious issue, though, for the country because we're looking at a debt ceiling of $31.4 trillion in debt ceiling, and we're exceeding that uh, with, a, with an economy that can't get close to matching it and isn't on a trajectory to catch up in the years ahead. Something has to give. Well, tell us, uh, the market went down 600 points today. Interest rates went down. There, there's some of the Fed uh, chairs, the local Fed chairs, are arguing, oh, the rates have to go up. But in reality, there's only one boss. That's true. Yeah. And, and that boss has got a very bad track record, John, uh, as you and I both know, as your audience <laughs> knows. This is a Federal Reserve that still has not come to a uh, – a maturity in managing markets, if there is such a thing as a capable management of markets. But the idea, as one Fed official, who I won't mention his name, uh, said, we need rapid interest rate hikes, uh, as many as five in a row, uh, to make certain that we're stamping <clears throat> out inflation. That is the kind of idiocy that you do not expect from a response. Yeah, I'm on the other the side. Lou, I'm on the other side. I was on I was on uh, your old station, Fox, the other day, and I looked at the camera and I said, uh, Mr. Powell, if you raise interest rates more than a quarter percent, you're going to destroy our country. Oh, he's going to do that, though. Maybe a point or two before it's all said and done. Right, Lou? I, I think you're right, and I think John's right, uh, because we agree on this 100%. Uh, it, it's, it is a tough moment here, because we are looking at retail sales declining at the end of the year. We're looking at uh, real softness in the economy. We're seeing charges r- rising on credit cards. We're seeing, for the first time, we're starting to see significant increases in delinquencies. Uh, and obviously, commercial banks are now putting together larger, larger sums for their uh, uh, loan loss reserves. Uh, it, it is uh, a moment where we have to be, I think, really smart. And I don't see the Fed being smart at all here. Lou, this is Pete King. I ask you a question. You know, the debt ceiling is something we're going to have to raise it. It is money that we owe. But having said that, it's also a political reality that the Republicans have to bargain and negotiate. How long do you think they can bargain and negotiate before it has a, a, a very negative impact on the stock market? You know, when will the stock market start taking this seriously that we may go under? I, I, I you know, first of all, Pete, I think, uh, first of all, it's great to, to hear your voice and talk with you. Uh, I I think that experience tells us that this has never worked out for the Republican Party to take on this issue. Why they're doing it again, I understand the politics of it within the House, because they have a new rules package that means that there has to be offsets. Uh, But they they can't do that with this legislation, uh, and they have to understand that. Once they're pacifying their own membership here, uh, that shouldn't take more than a few weeks. And to do so in a responsible, quiet manner, I would love to see McCarthy kind of back off the mano a mano thing with Biden. First of all, it isn't a fair fight. Uh, and secondly, it helps uh, no one in the political in, in the Republican Party. You're right. I mean, look, I've been through a few of these and we've never won any of them. Anytime we shut the government <laughs> down, anytime we uh, you know, uh, threaten not to raise the debt ceiling, it ends up backfiring on us. Exactly. And and we know that it's going to be resolved. Uh, come uh, If it goes to the middle of June, it's going to be even uglier. I hope that they will uh, make the prudent decision and just resolve this and move on to what does matter. There is so much uh, opportunity for the Republicans here 
that will bring them great credit instead of uh, you know question marks about judgment. This is uh, the great Lou Dobbs. You hear him on WABC all day long, starting with my show, Sitting French in the Morning. Uh, Lou, interest uh, inflation, I should say, down to about 6.5%, still very, very high. But, of course, we were over 9 not that long ago. But spending is still an issue. So when Joe Biden comes out yesterday and says the economy is strong, but inflation mm-hmm. is still 6.5%, interest rates are still going up. For the layman out there that doesn't follow this like you do, how could they both be right? Well, they can. They could be both right, but I don't believe they are. Uh, we we have an inflation rate right now that is slowing, uh, but these prices are still well above f- uh, Fed targets and also well above what is uh, sensible uh, for the for American household budgets. This is irresponsible to continue these inflationary uh, uh, policies. Uh, and the latest le- piece of legislation, the one point seven trillion dollar omnibus bill, is just uh, is mind boggling in its impact. Uh, its potential impact on uh, the economy, certainly. As we look at these numbers, there's another impact here, and it does relate to debt. Uh, That is, the national debt now is soaring toward $32 trillion. It's going to be 120% of our total gross, uh, our total economy uh, that we produce each each year. This is madness. And at the same time, we have watched rates. The Federal Reserve has raised rates almost three times as much uh, as they were at the beginning of last year. We're looking at double the cost for the U.S. government to pay down that debt, doubling the cost. And we're looking at hundreds of uh, billions of dollars more now that the Federal Reserve, uh, the Federal Reserve, the Treasury Department will have to raise uh, from taxpayers. This is a mindless uh, spiral uh, and loop uh, in in rates that we just got to get a hold of. Wow. Let me tell you, it's, uh, uh, I'm worried. I'm worried about what's going to happen. Uh, when's the next Fed uh, meeting? Well, the next Fed meeting will be at the middle of next month, but uh, it's, it's going to be, uh, you know, I, you know I, I, have to, I would like to be able to say that I'm encouraged that I've got something positive to say here. The most positive thing I can say is that we're seeing some adjustment in the yield curve. Uh, that we're starting to see some rationality in the relationship between short and long uh, treasuries. But uh, beyond that right now, uh, the next six months are going to be very difficult to predict uh, because the Fed is absolutely impossible. And and some of the banks have started to suffer. Goldman Sachs had a bad quarter. PNC Bank had a bad quarter. Yeah, they did. And there's no deal making going on. There are no IPOs. There's Uh, no deal. Who's going to make a deal at 8% interest? Yeah, no, not right now. (laughs) And then, you know, just to kind of circle back to the start of this discussion, Lou Dobbs, if in fact we do default, which again, I think is. No, we're not going to default. No, I know we won't. It doesn't. But if we do. do, They settle at midnight before uh, the default. 100%. But but if it does happen, that rare case it does happen, it won't happen. You're right. Are we looking at possibly 3 million jobs gone, 401ks gone? I mean, really, it would be a, a complete disaster economically if that was to ever happen, even though we know it's probably not going to? The, the default would have if it were to happen, and uh, and I assure you, it will not happen. It will not happen. Uh, because the losses are finally, the stakes are finally so high that not even the uh, sometimes imbecilic uh, policymakers in Washington uh, could uh, even approach that, that moment. Uh, but what is difficult, uh, I think, for all of us to grasp is the enormity of the potential losses already in the market and, pre- and 
prospectively uh, in the market ahead, because we're looking now at levels that uh, we're returning back to where we were. The bear market was confirmed with the with the S and P 500 uh, in the middle of October of last year. We do not want to approach that again. Absolutely. That is uh, the way of uh, great pain for for millions of Americans, as you put it, Sid. You're exactly right. Lou Dobbs, thank you for your wisdom, and uh, I hope uh, we will survive. Thank you so much. We will. We will prevail. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, we've got uh, one of your favorite writers and mine, Zach Williams, who has now become a mainstay on the Cats at Night show and a major superstar here in New York. Zach, it's Sid Rosenberg, John Katsimatidis, and the great Congressman Peter King. How are you on this Wednesday night? Oh, it's been a heck of a day up here in Albany. As you probably know, there was a historic uh, confirmation hearing today where Governor Kathy Hochul's pick to lead the state's highest court, the Court of Appeals, um, actually went down in a very close vote, yeah. um, you know, 10-9, with progressives gaining the upper hand on the governor when it comes to rejecting Hector LaSalle, the Brooklyn appellate judge, from taking his seat leading the court. Mm-hmm. Now, the governor has not given up the fight. She released a very ambiguous statement that, that nonetheless claimed that the state Senate is constitutionally required to still take up um, the nomination for an up or down vote. Now, Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins told us reporters after the vote that that just is not going to happen. So we're just going to have to wait and see whether the governor goes to the courts to force their hand on this nomination that she just will will not give up. I, I think she will. I think she will. But I tell you, you know, what you find out now, Zach, is just how powerful the legislature is. I mean, everybody in New York is tired of bail reform. Yet, at the end of the day, Andrea Stewart-Cousins and Heasty, they're the ones that can make it go away. Now, with this confirmation vote today, once again, it was Andrea Stewart-Cousins who was a nail in Kathy Hochul's side. I'm starting to think the most powerful person in New York is Andrea Stewart-Cousins. Yeah, and we can't have that. Zach, Zach this is Pete King. I think what Kathy Hochul has to do is she has to fight, go right to the mat on this one, fight it all the way. If she wins it, she wins it. If she doesn't, she's a dead, you know, dead governor walking for the next three years. And I think she's got to show she can fight. Also, have the nerve, go to the people, make this the issue. Otherwise, God, you're going to have Cousins and Hasty running the state, which will make us even worse than we are now. Well, two points I would make right here is that, you know, the governor's lobbying effort on behalf of, of Hector LaSalle has been what you might say is scattershot. <laughs> she has been working. the She was working the phones last week, calling up Democratic state senators on the committee, trying to whip up support for LaSalle. But she made very little, if any, outreach to Republicans who could be key to making, you know, to getting him approved by a bipartisan majority if it reaches the Senate floor. Now, ever since Democrats took control of the state Senate in 2019, there has been kind of a, a mounting confrontation, if you will, between the executive and the legislature. You know, there's Democratic supermajorities in the Assembly and the state Senate. You know, we had a, a what you might call a strong governor and Andrew Cuomo for many years. Um, and now with Hochul in office, we're seeing the Democratic lawmakers, you know, really push 
the, the envelope on this. And Hochul, for better or worse, has dug in, you know, whether it was uh, former Governor Patterson or former Governor Pataki. You well, know, it's it's have, funny you say that. How important this fight is. We have former Governor uh, David Patterson on the phone with us. Uh, Governor Patterson, what say you about all the crap going on? Well, remember that Governor uh, Hochul picked from a a group of seven candidates that were given to her by a commission. This is a process that was set by the Court of Appeals. It's my opinion that the senators were already lining up, no matter who came off of that list and became the nominee. And that might have caused Governor Hochul to take someone like Judge LaSalle, who really is not. Uh, particularly a conservative. I think he showed that today. I think he said it a number of times. And I think his argument was very convincing. At this point, I agree with Congressman Peter King. I think the governor has to, regardless of what the political ramifications are, yes, she can sue, she can win, and then the senators all go in and vote Democratic and, yep. and cause her candidate to go down. But let's just remember, Governor Hochul is going to be there for four years. Sooner or later, they're going to need her for something, and they're going to need her bad. And uh, she's going to have a very strong memory about what happened today. Oh, Governor Patterson, by the way, Pete King just gave us a Phil Simms fist pump after you said <laughs> Pete King. How you agree with him? He was so excited about that. Um, let's go back to Zach. Believe it or not, that he and I agree almost too often. I know. Yeah, I know. It's weird. Yeah. I'm David, not sure. I'm David, not sure who's who. Who's a Democrat? Who's a Republican? Yeah, David, don't spread that around. We'll both be in trouble. Okay. Hey, Zach yeah. Williams uh, with the New York Post. So in the end, would you call this embarrassing for Kathy Hochul? How would, what word would you use to describe what happened up in Albany today? Well, any governor coming into a a new term in office, remember the election was just a few weeks ago, you know, wants to think at least that they have political capital to spend, that they have a mandate from voters. And the governor has spent an enormous amount of that political capital on this pick. And she might walk away with it, you know, with nothing. Now we'll see what happens in the courts, but I'm sure many, many uh, elected officials, former governors, former members of Congress would agree. You can, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And the state Senate ultimately, you know, cannot be forced physically, at least, <laughs> to vote on this nominee. Now, we'll see again how the courts work. They could, you know, issue a writ of mandamus that would that would order them to take up the issue. But, you know, to answer your question, you know, I would I would just have to imagine that the governor just weeks ago, after becoming the first woman ever elected governor in state history, was not planning on spending, you know, on, on fighting with fellow Democrats in the legislature over, you know, a pick to lead the Court of Appeals. You know, there's so many other things looming on the horizon. You know, the budget. You should never have given them the pay raise. And, you know, baffling is the word. People ask, you know, what's 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 going on in the Capitol, Zach? And I just say, you know, the word I keep coming back to is baffling. You know, the, the governor had this pick. She was told by the progressives to, you know, definitely don't pick LaSalle. She picked him anyways. And, you know, <laughs> then she, you know, the legislators all of a well, sudden. No, she did that. She did not do race. that. Oh, hold on. Governor Patterson yeah. seems to disagree with you, Zach, and say she did not do that. No, so no, what do you want to argue here? not. Yeah. She did not reveal her pick to anyone before she picked him. The progressives no, didn't no, know no, no, no. Be, not to be, take be, him. 
before the pick anyone was announced for the position, progressives wrote a letter, 20 of them in the legis in the Senate, wrote a letter, named several picks that they felt would be unacceptable. And LaSalle was one of them. Now, Hochul didn't say at that point yeah. who she was going to nominate, but she did nominate LaSalle. And in, in, but in the middle of all this, you know, again, the word baffling, you know, the legislators decided to come back to Albany, give themselves a pay raise. And the governor signed it on on uh, New Year's Eve. Um, in the midst of all this fight, you know, just kind of wasting, you know, this leverage she had, you know, $32,000 is something that might motivate a few state senators. That um, was a big mistake. Big tell you mistake. why we should all be careful on New Year's Eve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Nicely that's done. That's point. a good way to wrap this up, by the way. Thank you very much to both Zach Williams of the New York Post and our dear friend, the former governor, David Patterson. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Dr. Mark Siegel, welcome to Cats at Night with Sid Rosenberg, John Katsimatidis, and Peter King. How are you, buddy? What a group. What a triumvirate that is. And I have to tell you, I have some update for you, Sid, on the Knicks. I sent my wonderful younger son, youngest son uh, there, and he actually watched them get into overtime and lose. And like his dad, chip off the old block, he said, Dad, it was still worth going. Ah, that's great. That was a tough loss on Martin Luther King Day. But the Knicks are home tonight, actually, hosting the Washington Wizards in about an hour. But you're here to talk about serious medical stuff like COVID. The question is, Dr. Mark Siegel, the media wants us to believe that COVID is still out there. The question's simple. Is it? It's out there, but here's a word that they don't like to use, that we're happy to use, which is population immunity. I think that almost everybody in the United States, except possibly me, has had this already. And having had it, they've got some immunity that helps with other strains that are coming out, like the XBB uh, you know, that the one XBB 1.5, they call that the Kraken to try to get your attention with some fear mongering terms. Right. But everybody has some immunity. They're milder strains because they're upper respiratory. It's much like a flu now. And, you know, and we can treat it with Paxlovid and we can test for it. And so I, I, we're not where we were a year ago. And no matter how much chest thumping is done, we're not going to be where we were a year ago. You never had COVID, uh, doctor? No, I think I, you I know for a fact you blood? did. What? You have type zero blood? <laughs> you know who else never had it? My wife, Danielle. Who are you going to have dinner with tonight? Never well, got it. Well, type zero blood. You don't. Oh, she it. does have zero blood. That's, That's a she... very smart point, John. Yes. And I'm, pretty soon, Danielle and I are going to go out to dinner. We're going to leave Sid <laughs> out of it. That'd be a good move by, by you. Where, okay. <laughs> doctor, where are you? We're going to dinner tonight. Um, in New York. Well, you invite me? I, I will call you after the show. You should come. We're going for a very good Italian dinner. Dr. Dr. Singer, this is tonight. Pete King. I have one question. How effective are the boosters? Should people get them? Well, you know, the boosters are under a lot of attention right now. The bivalent is, is, adds a little bit over the previous. I think if you're in a high-risk group and you haven't had any immunity in the past six months whatsoever, either from infection or a shot, you should consider it. If you're over 65, I don't think that that issue that's come up over the past week of over 65 and stroke, it's not panning out in almost any of the, uh, this, the data that we've looked at, including VIRS, where people self-report. If they stub their toe, they tell you. Right. So I don't think that that's going to have significance. I'm still comfortable with these shots, but I don't push them on people, Pete. I want people to be comfortable taking them, and we have alternatives. I think if you haven't had an immunity in the last six months and you're in a high-risk group or elderly, that doesn't mean anyone on this call. Everyone's young here. You should consider it. <laughs> yeah, I will never get a booster again. I found out yesterday at Fox News 
that the booster makes your Botox wear off, which I go for every four months. I'll never get it again. Uh, but on a serious <laughs> note, I'm serious. Dr. Mark Siegel, right now, if you got COVID or the flu, assuming everything else was equal, which person would be sicker, the guy with COVID or the guy with the flu? That's a really good question. I'd say I'd say it's equal. It's about the same. They're very, very similar now. You know, there's a lot of fear with COVID, but the, it's generally not worse. And a lot of people get sicker with the flu. Because you remember, Sid, when you and I were kids, whenever that was, they used to call it the grip. Because you'd be walking along the street, and the next thing you know, you're flat on the back. That's the flu. That's Is that what it was? COVID. My mother always said, you want to get the grip. Okay, now I, now <laughs> yeah. I found out. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was that Italian drink. <laughs> By the way, Pete, if you come to this dinner, I'm going to try to convince you to run for Congress again. You may not invite me. We need him in Congress. That's so bad. Either that or we'll get even with them and get out the model. Actually, Doctor, I I can't go tonight, and I'll tell you why you'll be happy. I'm going for my uh, annual physical checkup tomorrow morning, so I can't be be out eating and drinking with you guys. Yes, you can. I'll wave my wand over you. Come on. All right. (laughs) He's got the magic wand. Let's have you run for senator against Schumer. You convince me. (laughs) And by the way, Gildebrand is running next. Who's going to run against Gildebrand? Yeah. Is she still around? Yes. yes. I, know. I, I haven't seen is, her in years. Yeah, she's still running. She, t- she took Hillary's seat. Remember that? Yes, yeah. she did. Yeah. Hey, by the way, last time you and I spoke on the morning show, it was right after the Bills-Bengals game got canceled. They're going to play this Sunday, actually, in Buffalo for the right to move to the AFC Championship game. But it was that night, of course, where the Buffalo Bill defensive back, Damar Hamlin, suffered cardiac arrest not once but twice on that night and almost died during that game. And you and I both said he's going to be okay. He's 24. He's strong. and may even play again. It looks like, Dr. Mark Siegel, we're both going to be right. Unbelievable. And I'm in touch with the doctors, both in Buffalo, where I went to medical school, and in Cincinnati. And they did a tremendous job. And the main thing was they had to pr- preserve blood flow to the brain. I mean, the best line of all, you know, did we win? I mean, that, that woke yeah. up America after all this divisiveness and anger and hostility. Did we win is where our hearts are in America. And he's, a, he's really uh, – but, but, but Sid, as you said to me, there's other heroic stories besides Damar Hamlin out there. Peyton Hillis was a guy that didn't yeah. know how to swim and jumped in the water to save a drowning kid, and he almost died. He's still having kidney difficulties. And every firefighter jumps into a fire, a right. contest, a gunfight. Yeah. That's right. But, and, you know. and, and the other problem, fentanyl. Where the heck are we with fentanyl, doctor? Well, we got open borders. It's pouring across. Thank God Title 42 is still in place. I hope the Supremes hold it in place. But it's pouring across the borders. You got two cartels down there, Senalea and Jalisco, that are making it in 10-foot labs, ingredients from China, ingredients from India, sold on social media, sold online, sold disguised as rainbow candy or other pills. So kids, kids are dying, and kids are getting really sick, and teens are getting really sick. You know, I talked to a couple of people this week, including Nora Volkov, who's amazing, and there's almost, I mean, the feds are trying, but there's very little that can be done unless we close the border. I'm sure everybody on this call agrees. 100%. Yep, 100%. By the way, today, today is the 30th anniversary of President Bill Clinton from being sworn in. And my opinion, I thought he was one great president. He was the first time. Bill Clinton, the first did time. you vote for Bill Clinton? I did. I yeah. voted for him, too. Yeah. No, yeah. You didn't vote for Peter King. No, I, yeah. I voted for Bush, Bush and Dole. So, um, but well, having said that, Mark I, I, Siegel, did you vote for Bill Clinton? 
I voted for Bill Clinton. We all did. You won three to three out yeah. of four. He's your type of guy, by the way, Pete. No, I'm surprised. No, I, had, I, I had a very good relationship with Bill Clinton. Uh, he was a great guy. While he was president, still now. He, no, he yeah. is a great guy. And all these people who hated Bill Clinton didn't know him, I can tell you that. Yeah. By the way, to George know, W. To George w. Bush, as long him. as you're bringing him up, he was a great, one hell of a mountain biker. And I've gone mountain biking with him multiple times. He's an inspiration to the vets. I saw that on Fox we're News. We're out of time. Yeah, we're, we're out, out of time. time. Thank, well, you, thank you, Dr. Siegel. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast. Podcast Network.